1: Travelcast, episode 326. The Travelcast is a weekly audio fiction magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Retired on this week's show. Sure, kicking back and doing jack shit sounds awesome at first, but boredom starts to quickly set in, and you begin to see the world in a different light. Yeah, this Canadian bacon is just bacon with health insurance. Uh, Black Forest ham is just ham that needs to chill the f*** out. Uh, cured ham, please. This ham still has a long way on the road to recovery for what its father did to it. We spend our whole lives trying to insert ourselves into stuff. How do we cope with eventually trying to let go, allowing the game to pass us by, finding pleasure in all the small things? Or is that not how everyone rolls? Maybe some of us want to leave our marks till the end, but how long can we keep it up, Outcompete the newest model? It's getting harder and harder. If you don't watch out, you might just wake from your nap to discover you've been replaced. Recalled, services no longer needed, thank you very much. Please see your local organic tissue mulcher and recycling unit. Have a nice liquefication. Let's hit a hundred word story. This week's travel comes to us from Eric Marsh, and it's called The Gift That Keeps On Giving. Eric's been featured on the Drabblecast several times before. He's retired himself and now mostly spends his time messing around with his airplane, his motorcycles, and his opera lessons. Here's his Drabble. I'm a big guy, but the grass skirt hides a lot. The Pakake Melee leaf headband is skillfully fitted, as are leaf bands around my ankles and wrists. They symbolize that I'm to be a bride. My bare breasts are old man breasts. I'm not a virgin in the traditional sense, but I've never lain with a man. That's all that's really needed. The gods are powerful, but they're not very smart. I'm old and I'd hate to see some young, bright kid robbed of her future. So I walk to the edge and look down into the volcano. Well, that's thoughtful. And that leads us to our feature story this week, The Last Tiger by Tracy McBride. Tracy's a New Zealander who now lives in Melbourne, Australia with a husband and three children her husband and three children to be more precise. Her first short story was published in 2004, and since then her work's been published in over 80 print and electronic publications. And in 2008, she won the Sir Julius Vogel Award, which recognizes the best new fiction in New Zealand. She's an associate editor of Dark Moon Digest and vice president of the writer's cooperative Dark Continents Publishing. And her first short story collection, Ghosts Can Bleed, is now available in ebook and paperback. This story first appeared in Electric Velocipede, May 2008. And so, without further ado, we bring you The Last Tiger by Tracy McBride. Hunger has made you reckless. You track the sound of human voices through the woods until you find a man and a woman. They are shouting at each other. The woman slaps the man's face. He presses his hand to his cheek for a moment and then lunges at the woman, knocking her to the ground. He squeezes his hands tight around her throat. The noises she makes are ugly. Your nostrils flare. You smell... Food. It is in the pack on the man's back. You come closer to the couple, deliberately snapping a twig underfoot. The man twirls around, almost losing his grip on the woman. You point at the backpack. Food, you say. You have to concentrate on forming the words correctly, your voice husky and harsh from lack of use. Give it. The man stands, releasing the woman. She scuttles backwards, sobbing and gasping in air over bruised vocal cords. Two words enter your head, and you ponder their meaning. Civilian. Combatant. The man pulls a hunting knife from his back pocket. Stepping forward, he brandishes the knife inches from your face. You gonna make me, buddy? He says. Civilian. Combatant. His knife is like a flipping switch. You try to remember what to do, but there is a roaring sound in your ears and your vision clouds over in a red fog. When it clears, it is already done. Your muscles ache and you are breathing heavily as if you have run a long distance. The switchblade is dripping blood onto the man's corpse. You flip him over with your foot and crouch to open the backpack. You eat quickly Alert for competitors. The woman still sits a few feet away, hugging her knees to her chest. She speaks to you and you ignore her, concentrating on your meal. She is a civilian of no interest or threat to you. She tilts her head to the side, inviting you to respond. When you do not, she stands, shifting her weight from foot to foot and looking around in agitation. Her words become louder, more abrupt, and more insistent. You have finished eating, so you rise and turn to leave. Wait, she says. Food. You stop. Come with me, and I can get you more food, as much as you want. She beckons to you, her eyes wide and pleading, like a rabbit caught in a trap just before you break its neck. You can barely remember the last time you caught a rabbit. She takes a few tentative steps, still beckoning, and you follow. Grace, Ethan, and the professor stood at one end of the kitchen, their eyes fixed on the man at the other end. He was dressed in filthy clothes, what might have once been a red, fleece-lined camouflage jacket with the sales tag still showing, and what looked and smelled like the hide of two small furry animals crudely tied, fur-side in, to his feet. Standing he was nearly six feet tall, but now he was squatting on the floor, balancing a large dinner plate in one hand and shoveling rice and beans into his mouth with the other. His subsistence diet had stripped his body to the bare essentials, his long bones bound in ropey muscle. His hair and his skin were the same shade of tawny brown. With his delicate features, expressionless face, and hair that jutted from his skull in unevenly cropped clumps, he looked like an oversized, misused, and discarded doll. Ethan wanted to turn him in right away, said Grace, but I said we should wait for you. Of course I wanted to turn him in, said Ethan. Do you know the penalty for harboring one of these? He jerked his head in the direction of the man. You don't even know if he's one of those, said Grace. What do you think, Professor? Is he enhanced? Based on what you've told me, I'd say he is. No normal human being could move as fast as you say he did. See that scar on his leg? he pointed out a puckered indentation the size of a baby's fist on the man's right thigh. That was probably where his military ident-chip was. He could have dug it out himself. Grace winced. What will they do with him if we turn him in? I expect they will strap him down, conduct several weeks of excruciating painful tests on him, and then kill him, said the professor." ''But we can't let them do that. He saved my life.'' Ethan took Grace by the shoulders, forcing her to face him. ''Grace, honey, he can't stay here. Even if the cops don't get wind of it, he's dangerous. He could turn on us in any minute.'' ''Ethan's right about one thing,'' said the professor. ''He's about as safe and predictable as a lightly tethered tiger.'' ''So what are we going to do with him?'' said Ethan.'' ''It's not up to us,'' said the professor. ''He'll do what he wants to do. My guess is he'll fuel up, take as many provisions as he can carry, and go back into hiding. I suggest we try not to get in his way. It's best for all concerned,'' he said, patting Grace on the shoulder. ''In the meantime, there's the small matter of a dead body in the woods.'' You two had better get rid of it before someone finds out and comes asking awkward questions. I'll sort things out here with our guest. The one they call the professor is right. You did make that mark on your leg a long, long time ago when you were smaller and weaker and more frightened of the men with guns than you were of the pain. He is right about many things. You wonder if he is right about the tiger. You don't know what a tiger is, but you like the sound of it. You run the word through your head, tiger, 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 and imagine a large, powerful animal, loping, silent, and invisible through the sun-dappled undergrowth. There is something familiar about the professor. You have not met him before, but you have known others like him, others who carried themselves the same way, who spoke and were obeyed in the same way, the designers. Part of you wants to submit to him, to prostrate yourself at his feet and beg for his guidance, and part of you wants to snap his neck where he stands. I'm going to leave you now, he says, but I'll be back soon with some supplies for you to take. Food, blankets, tools, that sort of thing. Wait here, you'll be safe. You check the door after he has left. It opens freely. He told you to wait, so you wait. The professor threw down a laden pack and swore. The kitchen was empty. With a resigned sigh, he turned to leave when he caught a flicker of movement out of the corner of his eye. The man emerged from another room. "'Computer,' he said in a flat, croaky voice. "'I find... tiger.' He held up a printout showing a photo of a tiger bounding through long grass in pursuit of a deer. You remember how to read and type, the professor said. I remember things. He advanced slowly through the kitchen towards him, brushing his hand over the walls, the tabletop, a coffee cup, his lips moving as he sub-vocalized the object's names. I always wanted to meet someone like you the professor said. Call it professional curiosity. I applied to join the military GE team, but they turned me down, despite, I must add, the fact that I was widely acknowledged to be one of the finest minds in the field. Something about my psychological profile being unsuitable. Then the greenies got into power and those stinking tree-hugging luddites shut everyone down. Decades of research destroyed overnight. I've still got it, though. Most of my findings are right here, he said, tapping his temple. There's a good chance this government won't last another term, and with the right stuff to give me a head start, I could be implanting viable embryos inside a year. So I wonder if I could trouble you for some of your DNA, a few strands of hair, some skin scrapings, maybe a little blood. The man answered him only with an impassive gaze. The professor shrugged. "'I suppose you haven't understood a word I've said. "'No matter. "'I'll probably find enough shed material in this room to make do.' "'He looked away, his words now only for his own ears. "'If I pull it off, they'll be hailing me as the father of the next generation.' "'The man frowned. "'He looked from the professor to the paper in his hand and back again. "'Father,' he said." Even with the heavy pack on your back, you make good time, reaching the edge of the woods just before nightfall. The lengthening shadows cast pleasing stripes across your body. A thick plume of smoke bisects the skyline behind you, the results of your handiwork. There will be no shed material for the professor to collect, and there is no longer a professor to collect it. Take a printed sheet of paper from your pocket and read it for the seventeenth time. Tiger fathers are a threat to the cubs and may even attempt to kill them. Not if you strike first. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed. Don't piss off the genetically engineered, ultra-trained weapon of war. A lesson humanity is sure to relive time and time again. And speaking of time and time again, surely that's how you feel about hearing me go on and on about how you should donate to our podcast each week to keep us going. Well, I won't do that this week. Rather, I'll tell you a little something about someone who does in our segment called The Travelcast Kick-Ass Donor of the Week, featuring... Chris Pate. Chris says he's just an average smuck who happens to have the bravest wife and brightest daughter in the known universe, and a crazy dog who they've decided with a heavy heart will never be the future king of Gondor. Chris says he's always loved fantasy, science, and weird fiction, and the travel cast really scratches his weirdness itch. He's proud to be able to give a little to help make the cast happen, and also proud to be a veteran. And if he could encourage anything besides supporting the TravelCast, it would be to support the veterans of war in and around areas near you. Whether it's giving a bit online, donating a few goods, or just taking a bit of time to visit the local Vet Center to help our wounded and homeless vets, there are true unsung heroes and deserve all the help they can get. And folks, I totally agree, and must say, while this week's story and this week's kick-ass donor of the week were paired totally at random, I think it's an odd and powerful coincidence that Chris's offhand request wound up following the story it did this week. It's easy to forget the men and women who served your country, no matter what country you're from, in times of peace, dancing with the stars, and brand spanking new iPhones. It was just Memorial Day weekend here in the US a few days ago and I'd be willing to bet that at least 80% of us here, including myself, were more concerned with getting our gas grills to light than about remembering the men and women who died serving in our armed forces. Wait, actually, I was at Balticon, listening to a reading where a superhero farted potent mind-control dust whenever he ate large quantities of cheese. There was no convincing others it wasn't you in this universe. It went far beyond that. The ethical dilemmas and existential character motivations drove much deeper, believe it or not. Anyways, the non-profit I myself manage as a day job frequently brings musicians into veteran hospitals and every time I go into the hospital room of a veteran to play music with my guitar, I'm reminded that veterans may be a lot of different things, but above all, they seem to be mostly forgotten. People say things in front of cameras, on the news, from a podium at the White House press room, and people say things in your office, on your lunch break, at the family dinner table. There is no shortage of opinions and perspectives out there vocalized on the subject of war and foreign policy. Opinions are like butts, which is why people are always like, Yeah, girl, let me smack that opinion. But when you actually talk to a lot of veterans in a VA clinic, you realize that they're mostly lonely, that they've oftentimes done some pretty epic shit in their lives and made some pretty big sacrifices. I'm reminded that I forget that things don't come easy, that I tend to get hung up on the overall machinations and policies behind wars, on the sensationalist attitudes of voluptuous round opinions in my face, screeching back and forth, all sexy-like, and overlook the unsung, the heroes, the resilient survivors of tragedy right here next door. There are human weapons of war all over the place, in hospitals and houses in your neighborhood, trying to figure their shit out, just like in our story this week. And are veterans so different from the rest of the retired out there? Yes, absolutely in one sense, but not really in another. War is just another industry, in a sense, isn't it? And how easy it is to forget those who have surrendered their functions, those who are off the assembly line of life, no longer competing and producing. The tiger of bulk textile shipping that was once your grandpa. The tigress of area home inspections that used to be your grandma. The tiger of better popcorn sales during movies, of safer pharmaceutical labeling, of cleaner airplane engines or more durable swimwear accessories. It's probably just as hard for your grandparents out there to figure out a computer and print something out as it was for our protagonist in this week's story. Surely that wasn't a coincidence. All I'm saying is remember that tigers were a big deal once, an unmatched apex predator, even as today they dwindle down to nothing before our very eyes. Remember that many of our retired and aging citizens were once extraordinarily relevant, brave, interesting, particularly our veterans, and will continue to be thus as long as we continue to engage them. Because, like Woodrow Wilson once famously said, Only the man who has exhausted himself swimming upstream can speak on the strength of its current. Anyways, that was a long tangent for our Kick-Ass Donor of the Week this week, but I'm sure Chris would approve. We appreciate your support, Chris. You folks at home can likewise support the Drabblecast by visiting www.drabblecast.org and choosing from any of our donation options right there to the right. We're honored and appreciative of no matter what you're able to give. Alright, let's hit our 100-character story winner this week by forum member Ben Jami. Here goes. Cinderella looked out across the water. Her attendance at tonight's Island Gala was dependent on her fairy godmother. Fairy godmother, you you see what he did there? 100 character stories. We run a contest from our forums each week at forums.dreplecast.org. Go there and find the travel section. Post one of your own. You might be next week's winner. Follow us on Twitter if you have it, at the Travelcast. Alrighty, folks. That's our show this week. Remember, The Travelcast is produced with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Node Derivatives License, which means don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. If you have just a minute, write us a review on iTunes, tell a friend about us, blog, spread the weird. Special thanks to our awesome episode artist this week, Alex Claw. Alex is a writer, artist, zombie hugger, and lover of all things post-apocalyptic. Check out his webpage at alexclaw.com. Our program this week was brought to you by managing editor Nathan Lee, our art director, Bo Kyer, with additional help from Nikki Drayden, Tom Baker, David Carvin, and David Steffen. We'll see you next week, weirdos. Until then, this is Norm Sherman reminding you... I'll probably find enough shed material in this room to make do.